0: Amen, and good morning to you. I had the privilege of putting that together, and that has got me fired up. It's got my crawl. It's got my heart. Rise up, O men of God. Be done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. That was the West Point... Uh, Marine Corps cadet uh, choir singing that. I haven't quite figured how it's West Point and Marines, but that's what it said. That's what it said. We are so glad that you are here today. Thank you for coming. And this is our Winter Baptist Men's Day, and I want to speak primarily in a sense to the men. But ladies, as always, please don't think, oh, okay, this Baptist Men's Day, he's saying he a lot in him. Understand that when we teach like this and it's just like in the old, the New Testament when Paul would say brothers and we understood, of course, that it's brothers and sisters. So as I teach these truths today, you understand that it applies to every man who's a believer and every woman who's a believer, every student who is a believer and every child who is a believer. It may be bad this men's day, but the truth today is for each and all of us. So many of us Today, even though time is slipping past, well remember, if we don't remember because we weren't born yet, then we we have learned it in school, the tragedy of September the eleventh, two thousand and one. Many of us, many of us, a chunk of us, probably if you were born nineteen ninety-six or later. You remember that day. Even if you were like five or six years old, you knew in that, that five or six-year-old mind that it was a big deal. And it was a big deal. That America was attacked by terrorists. Almost 3,000 people died that day. Now, an amazing thing, it was a day for heroes. That day, 412 emergency response workers gave their lives at Ground Zero. 412. Of that, 343 were firemen. Now, I just want you to let that soak in just a moment. 412 first responders died that day. But of that number, 343 were firemen that day. And the amazing part is, while others were running away, they were running in. While they others were running away... They were running in. I know we throw the name hero around very loosely today. It seems like it can apply to almost any situation. If you rescue a cat out of a tree, they throw the word, what a hero. Let me just say this. Maybe so, but not in the sense of the brave men and women who have lost their lives serving our country. And certainly these brave men and women who gave their lives on 9-11. And today we need heroes spiritually. We are having a spiritual 9-11. We are having a spiritual 9-11. Our culture is in a spiritual crisis, and we need men, women, students, and children who know Jesus Christ, who will not run away, but rather will run into the fray. Um, this is probably evidenced best by some information that my wife found and then she passed on to me. And I can't, the article is like 27 pages long, but she sent me a very important paragraph. And it says something like this, that there's something now called the Global South. And the Global South includes Africa, Latin America, and China. And those three places are the places where Christianity is literally exploding across the map. What's sad and frightening and quite amazing in a negative way is that in the 1900, well around 1900, the beginning of the 20th century, that 70% of the world's Christians were in Europe. 70% of the world's Christians were in Europe. Around World War II, that number was not quite as high, but certainly was maintaining some credence. But by 1999, at the end of the 20th century, that number that Europe represented 70% of the world's Christians had gone from 70% to 28%. And this certainly uh, validates... What Kim and Chris have been telling us about the need to go to Spain is because, again, the great lostness of the world, largely now, is in Europe. And here's the deal. Amazingly, you know, back in 1900, there were about 10 million Christians in Africa. That represented about 10% of the population. Now, as as of 2000, so 18 years ago, in the year 2000, that number had jumped to 350 million, representing almost half the population of Africa claiming to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, that's all good news, but also the Ark of Wellness say that, and we see it every time we go to Uganda, that a lot of the gospel that's being preached is the prosperity, health, and wealth gospel. That's why we need to go and make sure that these folks understand what they're committing to when they commit to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the bottom line is there's a great need today. Now, I wish I could tell you that America is still a stalwart in, in the Christian faith. It's always been. But the truth is, just like, just like Europe has walked away from Christ, as Canada has walked away from Christ, you must understand that this culture of ours in America is rapidly Rapidly running away from Christ. There is a Christ crisis in America today. And unless we realize that, then we will lose America totally to Christ. So it's important. We need heroes today who will stand the ground in the culture called America today. We need men, women, students, and children who will hold the ground today and take a stand. Now, history is filled with great men who have done exactly that, and one of them that I'd like to quote today, and by the way, if you've got your Bible app open, you can go to the, the U version, hit more in Events, and all the scriptures we're using, and the quotes are all in that app. If you want to use that today, it'll help you, and you can also take notes into that. But if you look on that Bible app, and we have a, a slide today, one of the great heroes of the faith from the 18, early 18, mid-1800s is David Livingston. David was, uh, David Livingston was a, a European, an a English man who was, it's really, he's a man's man because he was a great explorer of Africa, but more importantly, he was a great Christian. And you you might remember one day when Watson walked up in Africa and said to David Livingston, Dr. Livingston, I presume. Anyone heard that before? Yeah, a few of you have. I, I grew up with that. I grew up with that. Well, here's what David Livingston said. God, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. And sever any tie in my heart except the tie that binds my heart to yours. There's really, there's so much punch to that. You know, when he said, God send me anywhere but only go with me, I thought of Moses. You know, Moses, you understand God asked Moses to go back and confront Pharaoh. He had to flee for his life and now God calls him back to go. And later on, Moses, you know, leading the children of Israel says, We'll go, but only if you go with us. So David Livingston had the heart of Moses. But he also had the heart of Jesus. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. If you've done any Bible study whatsoever and heard some of the teaching that we've shared here recently, you begin to understand the great crisis of the cross that Jesus went through. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I mean, he was literally the lamb slaughtered. For the sins of mankind. And so so just like Jesus would say. Lay any burden on me. Only sustain me. That's what he prayed in the garden. So David Livingston had the heart of Jesus. But he also had the heart of Paul. Sever any tie in my heart. Except the tie that binds my heart to yours. Paul gave up all the influence that he had. All the position and power that he had. When he followed the Lord Jesus Christ. You might... Get these words, understand these words. When a believer is willing to be all in, when a believer is willing to be all in, when he's willing or she's willing to lay it all on the altar of his or her life, they are willing to do anything, go anywhere, and be whatever he asks. We need men and women, we need students and children who know Jesus Christ, who are willing to lay their life on the altar. And to be all in. I'm sure some of you watched the football game Monday night. The national championship for collegiate football. And of course the two teams, Alabama and Clemson. Alabama was the favorite. In fact, Alabama seemed invincible. And so they get on the field that night. And something happened that was quite unusual, quite unexpected, and that is not really that Clemson won, but that Clemson dominated. Dominated. Alabama just really never was in the game. Now, if that had been, frankly and honestly, if it had been Notre Dame, we'd kind of go, well, that's what Notre Dame does. Sometimes they show up, and sometimes they don't. But this is Clemson and in, in, in Alabama. And Alabama always shows up. But guess what? That night, Clemson won. You wonder why they won? In my opinion, they wanted it more than Alabama. They wanted it more than Alabama. And you know what? When we, if we're going to turn our culture around, if we're going to be the men of God that God has called us to be, the women of God, the students of God, the children, the young people that God wants us to be, then we've got to want it more than anything. You know, we've got to want Jesus more than Satan wants to keep us away from Jesus. We've got to want Jesus more than Satan wants to keep us away from Jesus. You know, uh, Dabo Swinney was the coach of Clemson. And he, he gets up, and he was a man of God. I mean, we always hear the I thank God thing. You know, everybody wants to thank God when they win the Super Bowl or when they win the Collegiate National Championship. But he did so much more than that. You know, almost the first thing out of his mouth was, I thank Jesus, my Lord Jesus Christ. And went on to say how that he believed that, that the Clemson victory could only be explained through the sovereignty or through the province of God. And that's the word I believe he used, province of God. He stood, he had a, he had a national audience and he could have said how great he was and, and, he, and how great the team was. But first and foremost, he took the opportunity to explain how great God is. And that day he stood tall for the kingdom of God. So in Psalms, in Psalm 1, what we have is the King David. He's doing a couple of things. He's initiating the, the book of Psalms, 150 songs, okay? A chunk of them of which he wrote. But he's initiating the Psalms. He's laying the groundwork for Psalms. But in so doing, in Psalm 1, he lays the groundwork about what it means To be a spiritual hero in culture. What is required if we're going to be the godly man in culture if we're going to be the godly man to our wives, if we're going to be the godly men to our families, if we're going to be godly leaders in our, in our community, if we're going to be godly men on the job, if we're going to be godly students at the middle school and high school in East and West Side, if we're going to be those godly people, what does that look like? And he gives us a picture today. He starts out in Psalm 1, and here's what he says. How happy is the one. Now, I, I just need to pause here because, you know, most of our translations use the word blessed, and almost that sounds stronger than happy. Because of the challenge and because of what this means, it's hard for me to get my arms around the word happy. When I When I often think of happy, I think of a man like Tiny Tim tiptoeing through the tulips, if you remember the 70s. That is so far from this. And I might be stretching the scripture, but it means that, well, I'm not stretching scripture here. When we're blessed or happy, it, it's, it's how joyful, okay? And that, remember joy, is we're gonna hear it again tonight, joyfulness is that, is that deep sense of peace that we get from God. It includes gratitude, how thankful we are. But man, I want you to hear this morning, when the psalmist says how blessed or how happy, we can easily put in there how mature, how strong, how purposeful, how in control with God the man is. So if you want to know how to be the dad, how to be the husband, how to be the student, how to be the child, how to be the mom, how to be the wife... This is a scripture for us. And here's what he says. He starts out in the negative sense. It's that person is someone who doesn't do something. Okay? Here's what he says. How happy is the one, and here we go, who does not walk, notice that verb, walk, in the advice of the wicked, Or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. So the person, the man who chooses to be a spiritual hero, the woman who chooses to be a spiritual hero, the student who chooses at at a difficult situation sometimes in school with the peers, who chooses to be a spiritual hero, that person is someone who does not do these things. The word does not walk in the advice of the wicked. That carries the idea of worldview. In other words, the person who's wise, spiritually, does not go to the wicked and say, how do you think I ought to do life? How should I do marriage? What is okay and what is not okay? Let me just tell you this. When you find yourself seeking the advice of the wicked, they will lead you astray. When you seek your advice from your buds who don't know Jesus, hey, what do you think? My wife's not happy in the marriage. I'm not happy in the marriage. What do you think I ought to do? Do you think it's okay to do this? Do you think it's okay to that? What do you think about porn? Does it hurt just me? Is it all right to do that? When you seek advice from the wicked, they will lead you astray every single time. But then he goes on and he says, or stand in the pathway with sinners. Now, you know the word pathway and walking deals with lifestyle. Doing life. So, so it seems like the psalmist goes from, don't get advice from the wicked, nor walk or live the lifestyle of the sinners. There's a lot of moral choices today, guys. Students, you know this. You know, every Friday night, every Saturday night, perhaps every night, you will have students who are going to make some really bad moral choices. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got to decide who you're going to follow. Men, you know, there's all kinds of moral choices. Ladies, you know there's many moral choices. And we have to decide who are we going to follow. So the psalmist says it's a dangerous thing to stand in the pathway or follow the pathway with sinners. And the last one is really unusual. It says, sit in the company of mockers. You know, there was a time. There were always mockers. There were always God mockers in America. But they were few and far between. But more and more, more people are openly mocking God. Can I have an amen there? Is it true? We have seen this huge cultural shift. You know, at one time, I remember at one time, it was almost a profitability to being a Christian. There was a respect factor there. That's gone. That's gone. And now, boy, the Hollywood crowd, a lot of the sports crowd... Politicians, the like, hey, culture in general has brazenly stepped up now and went from being quiet about mocking God to openly and brazenly mocking God. So, so the psalmist says, if you want to be, if you, as, a, as a believer, as a spiritual hero, you've got to be willing not to take advice from the world, not to stand in their pathway or follow their lifestyle, or sit in the company of the mockers. We have to make that choice. Now... There's a quote in the Bible app, and also it's going to be on the screen here, from a guy named Michael Rod. And I think I'm pronouncing that right. It's R-O-D-D. It makes sense to me it'd be Rod. But the guy is British, so who knows? Now, as far as I know, Michael Rod is not a Christian. It's not, this, his quote is not from a Christian perspective. Okay? But it has a strong teaching that we need to grab hold of today. Here's what Michael Rod says. Persisting, continuing, with the wrong strategy is like running east looking for a sunset. Let me read that again. Persisting with the wrong strategy is like running east looking for a sunset. Now my wife insisted that I make sure you understood something in case you didn't know this. So get ready for a great revelation. The sun rises in the east and sets in the west. So if you want to see, as he said, a sunset, a sunset, Which way do you have to go? You have to go west. You have to look to the west and proceed to the west if you want to see a sunset. No matter how diligent you are, no matter how persistent you are, no matter how sincere you are, if you run and look to the east, you will not see a sunset. Well, that truth is so powerful when the psalmist says how strong is the person who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. That is a bad strategy. And if you pursue that bad strategy, no matter how sincere you are, you will end up in deep weeds. It could cost you your family. It could cost you your character. It could cost you who you are. Now, there's a triplet of verses, again, on your sermon sheet and also on the Bible app. There's a triplet of verses there that give us some warnings about this, about this. And it's found in Proverbs 13, and it's 19, 20, and 21. Now, here's what the first one says. In Proverbs 13, 19, it says, Desire fulfilled is sweet to the taste, but, or and, to turn from evil is detestable, to fools. So, so desire fulfilled is sweet to the taste. Now we've got to understand something. We've got to pretend. we got to stop pretending. Sin is pleasurable. Sin is pleasurable. There's a taste to the mouth. I like what John Piper said. I'm going to quote him again in just a moment. But John Piper said, Of course sin is pleasurable. If it wasn't, we wouldn't do it. Isn't that a good point? So there's a certain... Taste, You know, Hebrews chapter 10, where, chapter 11, where Moses chooses to, to identify with the afflictions of his people rather than having the pleasure of sin for a season. So we've got to understand that there is a pleasure in sin and that's what draws us. It feels good. It tastes good. It might make us feel better about ourselves. And the, and the author of Proverbs says, desire fulfilled is sweet to the taste. You need to understand that. And to turn from evil is detestable to fools. In other words, if you know this, you're foolish if you don't turn away. And don't expect your friends to go, dude, you need to quit cheating on your wife. Dude, you need to quit doing drugs. Dude, you need to quit DUI and drinking and driving. Dude, you need to give up this porn habit, man. Don't expect the evil ones to say that, your buds to say that out in the world, because they won't. Sin is pleasurable. Sin is pleasurable, and don't expect the world to say, You need to quit doing this. But I'll tell you, who will tell you the truth? And that's God in His Word. That's God in His Word. So we need to be careful. We need to be careful that we choose wisely and understand that sin is pleasurable. Be careful of that. And don't expect the world then to turn around and to say, You need to quit that. They won't, they'll encourage you. That's funny. You had know, Amy Sandy said this one time. The world will bait you and encourage you to the edge of a cliff and then condemn you if you jump off. The world will will egg you on to the edge of the cliff and then condemn you if you jump off. Amazing. Then, and this is the really good verse, this is is the the cornerstone. In verse 20, the one who walks with the wise will become wise. In other words, when we surround ourselves with wise people, guess what's going to happen? we're going to become wiser. But watch this, watch this. The second part says this. But a companion of fools will suffer harm. In other words, if you surround yourself with, with wise believers, wise believers, wise people, then you're going to become wise. If you surround yourself with fools, you're going to suffer harm. Now, there's a verse that I particularly like, and you're going to hear it twice today, if we get all the way through the message, and that is Psalms 14.1. Here's what it says. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. In other words, it's a foolish thing to say, there is no God. Okay? But as you're going to hear later, there's also, if you you, you know the language, okay, it really says this. The fool says in his heart, no God. Or, no God. So it's a foolish thing then for us to say there is no God. or as God, you don't exist. But it's also a crazy thing to tell God no. And we have to be careful of that. We're going to talk a lot about that toward the end of the message. It's really important. So if you surround yourself with wise people, you're become wiser. But if you hang around with people who A, don't believe in God, or B, live like they don't believe in God, you're going to suffer harm. You're going to find yourself in trouble with your marriage, in trouble with your core values, in trouble with who you are. Students, you're going to find yourself trying to explain mom and dad you know, what happened on Friday night or explain to a police officer what happened on Friday night. It's just huge that we understand that. And the last one, Proverbs 13.21 of the triplets, is really good. Disaster pursues sinners. Now, Proverbs 14.12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the way is death. If you're not listening to the right voices as you do life, men, women, students, children, if you don't do life and listen to the right people, then you're going to have a disaster. You're going to end in disaster. There's the way... but I want to be happy. But I want to be fulfilled. I wanted to be popular. I want to have things. I, whatever it took for me to, to amass those things, I was willing to do it. Well, you just need to understand something. Disaster pursues sinners. When you choose to do wrongly, you're going to have a disaster. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. But then he turns right around and says, but good rewards the righteous. So, so if you choose this, all right, Disaster, if you choose disobedience and, and hang around the wrong folks, the wrong crowd, or if you choose obedience and then choose hanging around the right people, then you have good rewards the righteous. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. It's huge. It's huge. So be careful that you don't find yourself standing or walking or sitting With the wrong folks. And by the way, did you see that? Do you see the progression? Very few people, very few people wake up one day and say, I'm done with God. I'm done with God. It's always, almost always a progression. Listen, whenever you see a change in your Christian character, that is a warning sign. If you find yourself not wanting to read the word of God, if you find yourself not wanting to pray, if you find yourself not wanting to attend, those are warning signs of progression. And you may well find yourself going down a path not leading you toward God and happiness, but away from God and unhappiness. It's very important. All right, so so then we finally get to Psalms 1-2. Psalm 1-2. Instead, now, instead of walking and sitting and standing with the wrong folks, okay, what does the man of God do? What does the spiritual hero do? What does the man, what does the woman, what does the student, what does the child do instead? Well, instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. In other words, instead of seeking advice from the wicked, or walking the lifestyle of the sinners, or joining those who would mock God, instead, they delight in God's instruction. Oh, the Bible's so, listen, listen, I know Satan has given so many of us that the Bible, one, it's outdated, it's old, but worse than that, that God gave you the Bible to be unhappy. God gave you the Bible to be happy. There is freedom, there is peace, there is liberty in the word of God. You shall know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth will set you free. Don't believe this lie that Satan and your friends are telling you that, hey, man, get rid of that Bible, man, it's out of date, it's not real. Well, it's not out of date and it is real and it will save your life. It will save your life if you will let it. So he goes on and says, instead, his delight is in the law's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. Now, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to ha-ha. But the truth is, the perfect example of meditating on the Word of God is a cow who chews his cud. You know, a cow will chew grass and put it in there. Actually, by the way, learned this today or studying for this. You know, the cow doesn't have four stomachs. It's got one summit with four compartments. But that first compartment, the grass is put down in there, and it kind of sits there. And when a cow's got time later on, he will bring that grass back up and chew it to begin the digestive process. That's a beautiful picture of meditating on the Word of God. Just reading the Word of God it's not going to do you a lot of good. It's a good discipline, but it's not going to do you a lot of good. You have got to let it meditate. You've got to sit on it. You've got to chew on it. And it's better to chew on two verses than 20 chapters. Just don't miss this. Don't miss this. Now, and when he says delight, you know, his delight is in God's instruction or Lord's instruction, you know, I thought of something. You know, whatever, man, this is really important for us. Man, whatever we delight in, our children's going to delight in. Whatever we delight in, you know, the children are going to delight in. You know, I've got a grandson. And my grandson loves sports. I mean, he loves sports. Can anyone guess what his dad loves? Sports. Sports. I've got a grandson who loves video games. Can anyone guess what his dad loves? Video games. They need to understand something. That your children and your wife are looking at you, and here's what you need to know. What you delight in, there's a chance they're going to delight in. It's important that you delight in the word of God, that when they see you, they see you delighting in Jesus. They see you delighting in the things of the kingdom. They see you delighting in the word of God. That is so huge. So huge. He delights himself in God's instruction. He meditates. He chews on it a day and night. Now, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 gives us another view of the Word of God. It says, let the Word of God, this is Paul writing, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Now, Now, what that means is let the Word of God be at home in you. Let the Word of God be at home in you. And when we meditate on the Word of God, that's exactly what happens. The Word of God gets into our heart and it becomes at home. It becomes a part of us. A part of us. Then watch what happened. He goes on, Paul does, it says, teaching and nourishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, do you see that? He went from, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singular, let it be at home in you, but then he moved to corporate, teaching and nourishing one another. Here's the deal. We need the word of God individually. But we need the word of God corporately. You need church. If you're here today and it's the first time in a long time. I'm going to look you right now and tell you this. You need church. This needs to be a priority. On your calendar. This new th- theology and thought. was Church is optional. Yeah it is if you want to stumble and fall. Yeah it is. I know very few men and women who can pull it off. Without being active in a church. We need each other. We need the word of God privately and we need the word of God corporately together, together. Now, he goes on then finally verse number three and says this, this person, this man of God, the spiritual hero, a man, woman, a student or child, he is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in a season whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. You see that richness, that abundance life? He's not like a tree sitting in the middle of the Sierra Desert, barely eking by, We see this in Africa all the time. We see it in Africa all the time. We see a tree out there, and we don't know how it's alive. Uh, If you go out to the Garden of Gods, anybody been to the Garden of Gods? You go out there, and there's a tree growing out the side of a rock. And you say, how in the world is that tree growing out of the side of a rock? Well, here's the deal. Do you ever notice about those trees? you ever notice anything? They're not thriving. They're surviving. The Word of God says that, that the person who delights in the Lord's instruction and meditates on it is like a tree planted by flowing streams. It, it bears fruit. It's a fruitful life. And whatever he does prospers. Now, don't take that as our friends in Africa do and, and say, you know, oh, if, I, if I do what God wants, then I get money and wealth and all these things. No, no. See, keep in mind, I love, I love what Proverbs or excuse me, Psalms 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. But when you delight yourself in God, your desires change. And men of God, listen, men of God, women of God, students of God, children of God, hear that today. That the the reason why your desires are so out of whack is because your delight is not in God. But when you start focusing and delighting in God, all of a sudden those cravings change. The cravings change. John Fiber said that. He said we need to take our, our tongues and change our taste buds. So often our taste buds are wanting the things of the world. We need to change our taste buds. You know, he said, you know, using John 319, where you know, you know, the lights come into the world, but but the men, you know, darkness because their eats, their deeds are evil. He said, the problem is that we don't have light, it's that we love the darkness. So often we don't give up sin because we love it. We don't give up sin because we crave it. We don't give up sin because we want it. And he's saying, beware of that. You know, if your delight is in the Lord, he'll change your taste buds, spiritually speaking. And you'll start craving the things of God. Over in Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. Again, these scriptures in your app and also on the screen. This parallels that Psalm 1-3. The person who trusts in the Lord, who's confident indeed, is the Lord. I like that. Do you see that? It, the, he doesn't have confidence in the Lord. His confidence is the Lord. I like that. Okay? He will be like a tree planted by waters. It sends its roots out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought and or cease producing fruit. It seeks the water. The tree is there, but it sends its roots out, seeking, seeking the water. That's what we need to do. We need to send our roots out, seeking the living water. Now, let's go ahead and skip Psalm two, or Colossians 2, 6, and 7. It's in your app uh, and on, and on the screen, but we're going to skip that one. Let's go, let's go to verse number 4 because I want to get there. I want to make sure we have time to talk about this. Now, again, if you've got the app, okay, I wrote you a message. <laughs> you don't get it on the screen. But I've got it on my notes. It says this. Help, I'm practically wicked. Now, I know that can mean two things. It can mean, of course, help, I'm practically wicked. In other words, I'm almost wicked. And, and your wife is punching you right now going, no, no, no. You're not practically, you're there. You're there. You're there. Well, actually, that's not what I mean at all. I want to go back to that Psalm 14. I told you I liked it a lot. And I told you we'd talk about more about it. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, no God. Okay? And again, there's the person who says, I don't believe in God. He doesn't exist. You know? But there's also that believer. I know this, this is almost, con- I don't know almost how this can happen, but I know it does. And that is this. It's the believer who gets himself in a mess and also finds himself saying, no God. Of course, you know what? As I'm here today, a lot of us do that. God's word says forgive. No God. God's word says be thankful. No God. God says be grateful. No God. God says love him. No God. Love her. No God. No God. No God. No God. No God. We are really a no God people. And it's what is the term is practical atheism. We believe in God. We say we believe in God, but we live as if there's not a God. So so I thought about that, where it says, the wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like the chaff that the wind blows away. And I want to make sure you can take something home today. That applies to the wicked. It applies to the practically wicked. It applies to the person who truly does not know God and is living wickedly, but also applies to those believers who somehow have slipped off the path and they're living their lives as if there is not a God or that they are living like wicked people. And that happens when you see bitterness and anger and forgiveness. There's so much stuff that we excuse away in our Christian lives. And so, the wicked are not like this. Not like the tree planted by the waters. Not like the tree sending roots out. Not like the tree seeking the water. The wicked are like the chaff that the wind blows away. No sustenance, no foundation. Whatever culture says is okay. Whatever your friends say is okay. You know, students. Whatever your friends say at school is okay. The wicked are like that, and a lot of us know Jesus, and we too often live this practically wicked lifestyle, this life of disobedience. I really like Psalm four ten two. In all his scheming, in all his scheming. The wicked person arrogantly thinks there's no accountability since there is no God. Wow. In all his scheming, oh my, you ever had those epiphany moments? I had one. It was like two or three months ago. I was studying for a sermon and I used this scripture and it really spoke to my heart. And I managed somehow to get it out. In my case, it was pertaining to taking care of my body. And boy, for about two weeks, I prayed it and asked God to use it in my life. And all of a sudden, it stopped being in my vocabulary. It goes something like this. It's Romans 13, 14. It goes something like this. Put on the Lord Jesus and make no plans to gratify the desires of the flesh. I mean, we understand when sinners scheme to sin. But why do we as believers scheme to sin? How how do we, why do we find ourselves making plans to sin? Knowing that he died for us and and he bled for us. Knowing that, that it breaks his heart when we do. Knowing it's bad for us. I mean, you know, we would have a lot less consequences if we would sin less. You know, we would. So, in his scheming, in his planning, the wicked person or the practically wicked person... Arrogantly thinks there's no accountability. God doesn't care. you know, it amazing how we convince ourselves and justify our sins so well? We justify our sins so well in our heads. God doesn't care. Can I give you a newsflash? He does. He does when you hate your neighbor or your brother or your sister or your wife or your husband or your parents. He does when we have bitterness in our heart and we won't forgive. We harbor bitterness against a friend. He does care about the secret habits of your computer. He does care. He cares about the girlfriend that your wife don't know about or the boyfriend your husband doesn't know about. Don't you think for a moment, just because there's no immediate consequences, that he doesn't care. He does. He does. God's just not real good at overlooking sin. Unless it's under the blood of Jesus. And that's not what we're talking about. So in his scheming, the wicked person thinks there's no accountability since there is no God. The logic of the wicked and practically wicked goes that way. Now, again, I've got some scriptures I'm not going to use, but I do want to go down to Ephesians 4.14. I had 12 because there's a, there's a conjunction right in the middle. And I felt bad like, interrupting Paul. But, but in, in Ephesians 4.14, there's a really good verse. It says, Then we, as believers, as heroes, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. God never intended us to be like chaff. He intended us to be founded on the rock. And that happens by deciding, making a firm decision to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, to follow what the Word of God says. And guys, listen. There's a time I, I would stand up here and you, y'all do this because, you know, God, 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 and that's all good and great. But can I tell you something? You're going to be a, I think I just kind of said this, but I'll say it again. You're going to be a whole lot happier in a life of obedience than disobedience. There's a lot more benefits. That doesn't mean like you appease God. Don't read that. I'm just telling you, when we choose to walk in the pathway of obedience to God's word, life is just better. Your marriage is better, your life is better, your relationship with your kids are better, students, you know, your relationship with your parents are better. When we just follow the word of God, life is better. That's why he said, you know, blessed is the man. When you meditate, delight in the word of God. It's just better. So he closes out in verse 5 and 6. Therefore, the psalmist says, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment or sinners in the assembly of the righteous. That's their faith. They won't stand up or stand in the judgment. And then he gives us this like, wow. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. How many of y'all want to live a life where God's watching over you? Yeah. But... The way of the wicked leads to ruin. There's two ways. We can have a life where God watches over us, or the way of the wicked or practically wicked, and it's going to lead to ruin. It's our choice. I'm telling you this, guys. Guys being men, women, students, and children. In the culture that we're living in today, we need biblical heroes. We need scriptural heroes who will take a stand for Christ and live. And daddies, and daddies, you need to step up. You need to rise up, oh men of God, and be done with lesser things. It's time to give our heart, soul, mind, and strength to serve the King of Kings. Your life depends on it. Your wife's life, your children, your family, Ascended family, your character depends on rising up and being the man that God wants you to be. One more illustration from sports. I read a couple of, of articles on John Wooten, who many years ago was the famed, and I do mean famed, basketball coach of the UCLA Bruins. He was an incredible man. And he was being interviewed... And the interviewer said, and it was kind of like an informal interview, and he said, John, when the time comes for you and you are no longer here, and ESPN is doing the inevitable special on your life, what do you want them to say? And the author said, as John Wooden would often do, he paused and thought. And then he said this, I would hope They would not talk about basketball, but they would talk about my Lord, my relationship and love for my wife, Nellie, and my love for my family. Isn't that powerful? He could have said so. He had a record at UCLA that I I assume has not been matched yet. He was an incredible coach. But what he wanted to be remembered for was Jesus, his wife, and his children. Rise up, O men of God. Be done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of kings. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing these truths today. Father, I want to ask you in Jesus' name, in our Savior's name, for your help. Father, in our culture, so many of us find it so difficult to be the men that you want us to be. In some areas we do quite well, but in other areas we do fail. So I would like to ask you boldly that you would help us, guide us, direct us, strengthen us to be the men that you have called us to be. To be the women that you have called us to be. I want to pray especially for our students. God, I cannot even begin to wonder how hard it is. Imagine how hard it is in the culture of the school today. But I know this, you're greater than that culture. So I pray for every student, Father, that they could rise up and be the the student that you want them to be. And even our young children face such pressure today. Oh, Father, we pray. That those who know Jesus, who have made that decision, even their young age, could rise up and be the children you want them to be. Father, we do pray for our country. We do, Father. Lord, those numbers were staggering. Father, it makes us understand the urgency of the Keatings going to Spain. Try to rescue that dark, lost continent for the kingdom of God. We are grateful for what's happening in Africa. We are grateful for what's happening in Latin America. And we are grateful what's happened in China. But God, we pray for revival in the United States of America. And we pray pray for revival in the continent of Europe and our neighbors to the north and Canada. All things are possible through you. Now Lord, I pray you spoke to somebody's heart today. Maybe someone today would say boldly, I know I'm not a godly man because I don't know God. Would you pull them toward yourself today? And bring them down in this time of decision. Take Brent by the hand and say, I want to know this Jesus. I want to know this God that Brother Dwayne talked about today. If there are, and there are, Lord, and there are believers today who are struggling, Father, I pray in Jesus' name for your victory in their lives and in my life. I pray for that. Oh God, do your great and sweet work. And Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. Hey.